the DEA, I've had several conversations with them, and their field offices are all independent and managing this in different ways. Welcome to the Becoming a Pharmacy Badass podcast, where we talk about how to diversify your revenue streams, increase your net income, and optimize your operations to create the pharmacy of your dreams. I hope you enjoy and subscribe. Hello, everyone. Dr. Lisa Faust here, and I've got another compliance episode for you with our industry friend, RJ Hedges, Jeff Hedges from RJ Hedges, the compliance guru for all things independent pharmacy. If you're worried about any compliance, following the law, worried about an inspection, um, RJ Hedges is really your one-stop shop for everything that you ever might need to be uh, legal or compliant for. And so today's session is on the DEA. Uh, DEA, we all know, obviously, controlled drugs, very regulated, uh, but there's some things that are happening in independent pharmacy that I think we all need to be aware of. And so uh, Jeff and I are going to have a, a discussion about these changes and how you can make sure that you and your staff are prepared for any questions you receive either from the DEA or your board of pharmacy uh, along these lines. So let me bring on my guest, Jeff Hedges. Jeff, thank you so much for joining me again today and helping independent pharmacy owners and pharmacists and our listeners to be compliant. Um, for anybody who doesn't know who you are, could you give us give a brief introduction about RJ Hedges and what it is that you guys do for independent pharmacies? Uh, RJ Hedges Associates, we started a company back in 2006 in compliance. It started with HIPAA. Uh, and we've grown with the, all the different compliances that have come through over the last 15, 16 years, which has been a, a, a lot. Um, we have a platform. Uh, we trademark the compliance portal. Uh, we have our software uh, for every uh, individual component with compliance. It's point and click. Everything's customized to the individual pharmacist. Everybody has a dedicated project manager. So if you call in, we all get upset. You call in and they don't know you. And they don't, uh, they have no idea who you are. But on for ours, the customer service is the most important. So you got the same dedicated project manager who acts as your assistant compliance officer um, all the time. So it works really well. Yeah, so we're going to be talking about the DEA now. And, um, you know, I remember way back when I was around whenever Sudafed first became a thing. And that was really like uh, the first thing that I ever remembering that like I had to go and answer some questions and take a class and I got a little certificate and you had to do that for all your employees. And that that was kind of, I think, the first domino and all these dominoes that have kind of fallen mm. since then. I mean, I think it's important. You know, the opioid epidemic, epidemic is a real thing. Uh, I don't think it's necessarily all pharmacy's fault, even though we get a lot of the burden. Uh, but what are the changes or what are what do independent retail pharmacies need to be aware of when it comes to DEA compliance? Well, the first thing is a, it's it's a uh, it's an old requirement, but now they're enforcing it. It's called corresponding responsibility. So what that means is is that if you are uh, if the doctor orders a prescription uh, to be filled from you, uh, if it's under fifty mmes, which is uh, morphine measurement equivalent, um. I had, it's just one of those crazy names the government came up with. <laughs> um, so anyways, if it's under 50 MMEs, it's no big deal. But if it's over 50 and between 50 and 89, 
then you have to have a conversation with the doc. You got to look at their prescriptions. You got to check the PMP. You got to do all these little things here. But you got to go back and talk to the doc and make sure he or she understands that we're now into the regulated area. Uh, there's no, quote, documentation requirement. However, I highly recommend you do, uh, document it into, um, into the patient profile for that script. Uh, because if you had the conversation, but you didn't write it down, it technically never happened. Yep. So write it down. Uh, and it's just, the doctor says, well, it's just short term. Patients uh, just had, is about to have surgery, just had surgery. We're anticipating uh, less than 30 days. Perfect. Put that in notes, fill a script, off you go. Now, when the patient hits 90 or more MMEs, that's where this starts. Okay. Now, the DEA, I've had several conversations with them, and their field offices are all independent and managing this in different ways. So, and that makes it very bad because the CDC had the, the rule before about uh, opioids getting out to the patients. And then they came out here uh, a couple months ago with a new one. Well, a lot of the field offices are still using the old one and they're not going to move up to the, to the new item because opioids are so dangerous. And of course, you're the ones that caused it. All you did was fill a script, and they don't understand if you don't fill the script, you can lose your PBM contract. It's a double-edged sword. Um, so, but anyways, when you have a 90 MME, and that's total, you got to contact the doctor. You work with the doctor. They're going to be upset. They, they're getting bombarded as much as you are. And what happens is you got to say, hey, we're in this area. DEA is going to look at it. The wholesalers are going to look at it. Um, do you have a treatment plan? Well, turn down the mic because you're liable to get some four-letter words there. Uh, <laughs> so, but you got to explain. The, this whole process starts with the pharmacy. And if they find something wrong, they're going to nail the pharmacy. Then they're going over to the doctor and they're going to nail him or her. Normally, the guys get in trouble more than the girls. So, um, <clears throat> but anyways, it's a very tough thing. So it's, we've been testing this, trying to figure out a way that we can make it easier for the docs. <clears throat> so, and also, so you don't get beat up. So what we've done, we developed a treatment plan. We can fill out a lot of it. You send it over to the doc. They can put in their, uh, what their uh, plan is to scale the patient off the opioids. Um, if it's chronic or long-term, uh, <clears throat> or they are in hospice, then uh, you just have to put down what the diagnosis is, and that's fine. Whatever you do, you never um, hold back uh, medications for a hospice patient or a chronic, a chronic severe patient. You got to take care of them first. <clears throat> no. But everybody else, uh, you got to get this document. So in our policies, what we're looking at, okay, we, we want you to have the conversation with, with the physicians. Tell them what's going on. Give them the document when it exceeds. And explain to them beforehand what it is. So they send it over to them. All they have to do is put down the treatment plan, <clears throat> which is fairly simple, and then fill it out, sign it, and send it back to you. That's the requirement you need. The problem is you got to get one every six months. 
So uh, <clears throat> that's a challenge. You know, you're talking about the the morphine equivalents, which that is, you know, that's a standardized thing. And I know many pharmacy management systems have now started to put flags in the prescriptions that convert to the morphine equivalents to help make it easier for, for the pharmacies. Um, how is the DEA looking at, I know a few years ago, the Holy Trinity, you know, the muscle relaxers, the pains, the benzodiazepines, that was their hot button issue. Uh, do we still see that being a hot button issue with the DEA? And is there any corresponding responsibility with those types of prescriptions, uh, you know, about refusing to fill or justifications for those combinations? Okay, yes. Okay. Well, on the 50 MMEs, if there's a benzoid into it, uh, associated with it, then that becomes regulated. I forgot to mention that earlier. Uh, but other than that, it's just, uh, it is what it is. Um, and uh, you just deal with it. Now, as far as if you pay, if you send it, you get the script, you send a uh, treatment plan over to the doc to get them to sign it, and they refuse to, you just tell them, I'm only going to do this three times. So, and then the next time it's filled, you send it back over and they refuse it again. So the third time you tell them, I will not ref I will not fill this script without this document completed. And then you tell the patient that the, your physician is refusing to complete the documentation required by DEA, and we're not going to be able to fill your script. The patient will get more luck than what you will. So uh, it is, I mean, why is it the pharmacist that has to be the bearer of this bad news and be the cop? Yeah. Uh, <clears throat> That's and what's most just, frustrating about all of this is, you know, they don't go after the doctors that are the ones prescribing, uh, you know, many times. And I've, I've been there where doctors don't even want to give the pharmacist the diagnosis code. Like I've had doctors, you know, say, oh, it's a violation of HIPAA. You know, it's like somehow we're not even a part of the, the care team. And it's it's really just ridiculous on how, you know, many. It, I think it's changed somewhat recently, but there are still many old school doctors out there that make this a true and real burden. And I think that's really important for um, pharmacies. I remember when the shortage of the opioids was out a couple of years ago, when the DA, you know, racked back how many opioids could be manufactured and there was going to be a shortage. And we printed up a nice letter and we went around to all of our doctors. Um, I flew up to one of my pharmacies and we met with all the doctors and passed it out. And we wanted to let them know that it wasn't us. Like, here's what's happening in the industry. Here's what's being put on us. I mean, that kind of helped set the stage. That kind of helped them to understand where we were coming from. So I think this is another one of those opportunities that you can develop a better relationship with your prescribers, you know, write up a little one sheet, little bullet points of what's happening, you know, the local DEA office, put in some resources in there. Hey, here's our local DEA office. Here's their phone number if you want to call and cooperate with this. But let them know what your procedures are going to be beforehand and how you're going to handle it. And ask the doctor, how do you want this handled? Hey, if we have a patient and they get flagged and they're at 90 MME or they're at 55 or all the different things, how do you want us to handle it? And, and work with them beforehand. And I think that helps make them a little less defensive if they feel like they had some say in the in the process. And I also think it creates a, a stronger relationship with you and that doctor. Um, you know, you might even turn, turn it into a little bit of a marketing, you know, thing like here's all these things that we're doing, you know, we're trying to help. Let's, I, we're here to make this easy on you. You know, we'll, we'll do it your way. And 
um, all those kinds of things. It just makes you appear flexible and, you know, really a part of that care team. But it is a burden on the pharmacist. It's unfortunate. And I will also say this doesn't have to be the work of the pharmacist. You can have a technician go through, do these, do the outreach, um, all the different things, you know, obviously pharmacists are involved in the process, but it doesn't have to be the pharmacist that does all the the you know dirty work or all the paperwork so to speak so um, involve the rest of your team make sure they're all educated and make sure you just create a seamless workflow of communication between you and the doctor on how you want to do this some doctors might want a phone call some might want an e-scribe note or something like that but i think it's really good if you can be flexible with those offices to accommodate them Corresponding responsibility um, is a huge, huge thing, but there's also other things that are happening with the DEA that they're starting to look for. A lot of these things, very similar to the hazardous drugs, is that the laws have been on the books or the rules have been on the books, but the enforcement has been a little all over the place. So kind of the next thing that's kind of happening with enforcement is background checks. So um, can you tell us a little bit about the background check requirements for your pharmacy staff when it comes to controlled drugs? Okay. Uh, DEA has in the pharmacist manual and a couple other references that if anybody who touches or has contact or has access to a controlled substance must have a criminal background check um, completed and on file, and what it is, is anybody who has a felony conviction revolving around a controlled substance, they're forbidden to work in uh, in the pharmacy. They can't be the driver. They can't be the custodian. They cannot walk behind the counter, period. Uh, they'll pull your license in a heartbeat if they find that out. Now, the requirement is once. Uh but it's one of those things as you generally know everything that's happened in your uh, in your staff's life. Probably be a good idea every seven to ten years just to run it again. Uh, it's one of those safety things. Yeah, it may cost thirty bucks, uh, may cost forty bucks, it's, but it's so much uh, less of a burden because everything starts with a fine with DEA, and every fine is a minimum of fourteen grand. So you can get up there real quick. So with that, so make sure you have them on file. Best place to put them is your personnel folder. That way they're not going to get lost. Uh, that's where we recommend them. And uh, and just have it right there. It's easy to go with. So, um, What about when getting the DEA license? And I know I've, I've gone through this. And actually, the last pharmacy I bought, it was really hard to, like, change all our DEA stuff. We even had our DEA like inspector help us fill out the paperwork and it's like it was still filled out wrong like it's it's gotten a little confusing where even the DEA people can't like direct you correctly but there's all these different labels for people there's the registrant the coordinator and apparently we were putting wrong people's names in wrong lines and it, we eventually got it figured out but um it was a little it was almost became a little humorous if it wasn't so frustrating but what's What's the status of all of that? And, and what are all these designations and titles and what do they mean? Okay. So um, we've, we actually do this for our clients. So uh, we got it down pretty good. Uh, naturally, uh, once you get your pharmacy license, uh, then you apply for your DEA license, which is really nice now. Before it was six to eight weeks. And now we're turning them in 48 hours if everything's, if there's nothing there. Uh, which is amazing that you can get something processed that fast from the government. So, 
Um, but once you go through, get that done, uh, the first thing you do, you got to do your registrant uh, application. The registrant is the person who's solely responsible for the controlled drugs and CSOCs. So it's primarily a CSOC requirement. Okay, so you're the one that's ordering, you're the one that's receiving, and everything from there, that point of view. Uh, and a lot of pharmacies, that's all they have. So on inspections, okay, the coordinator uh, is the is that number two. Uh, they can do all the things that the registrant can't uh, can. So you go through that process, and uh, and you're in good shape. They're handling any uh, that uh, all the information anyway, and you can have more than one. So here's what happens with the inspections when they come on. Uh, they're gonna check your uh, your D, uh, DEA 222s, which are now electronic. They're gonna check your uh, criminal background checks, and they're gonna talk to the staff without you. And they say, especially they're gonna already know if there's only one registrant there. So they'll come in and they'll say, uh, does your boss ever take a day off or go to a conference and all that? And staff's going to answer no. Yeah, they take. They just came back from Cardinal or Marisburg or wherever, and uh, and they say, well, who did the uh, controls? Well, we put it in the system. They reviewed it from remotely and they submitted the order. Perfectly legal. Now the drug comes in. They said, do you ever go into that uh, tote and pull those uh, controlled substances out? Oh, no, I'll get in trouble for that. Then they say, well, you got a patient who needs that medicine really bad right now. Have you ever gone inside that tote and pulled it out? They kill you without even knowing. <laughs> so, And now they got it because they know you don't have a, or a coordinator. So that's where the pharmacist gets in trouble because you're handling drugs outside uh, what uh, the, the statutes we're at. You have to have the coordinator who's there to take care of things when you're not. And it's fine. I mean, it's okay to have two or three. I know DEA will uh, normally recommend only one, but reality, if you can get three, that's perfect. Uh, but that takes care of the staff. Uh, and now a lot of states are low, uh, are uh, making their inbound reception of drugs a lot easier, where now the techs can actually handle them, count them, uh, uh, put the number on it, uh, uh, complete it on the invoice that you have the uh, uh, what the quantity is, and then the coordinator or the registrant punches it into the, into the CSOC system as registered. Uh, remember, those logins are specific for the individual. So if uh, the tech has a uh, has a user username and login and they're doing it, well, you're both in trouble if you get caught. So, uh, but people are going to answer questions because they're nervous and they're going to answer them from what their memory is. They're not going to answer them the way you want them to. So it's always good to have everything done up front. So... Uh, and you don't want, I mean, they come in, uh, if the older the inspector, the better. Um, the, old, the old folks, they're more reasonable. They've come up through the system. They understand it. But this whole new group of DEA inspectors, they only have one thing in mind. 
how can I make a name for myself so I can move up? So if I can get a $2 million fine and put that pharmacist in jail because of this, that's a career move for them. So it's, again, all you're trying to do is take care of your patients. Yep, absolutely. That was a really good scenario to go through because um, it's always that one time that happened, you know, it's like everything's good. And then you go to a conference, you go to this, you you come up sick, you get COVID, you know, whatever the case may be. And that's when it all just, you know, kind of turns to chaos and you just try to take care of the patients. You know, you're not, uh, you're not selling the stuff out the back door. You're, you know, following all the same procedures. It's just now that one person that's supposed to be there isn't there. And, uh, that's where it can definitely get very confusing. And so, um, anything else that pharmacies need to be aware of that the DEA, um, agents are looking for in pharmacies nowadays? Uh, mainly they're just, the biggest thing is they're coming in. Uh, you will be inspected by DEA at some point. If you have a doctor or a nurse practitioner that's uh, feeding you scripts and they get in trouble, they're coming to see you. And it's probably happened. They'll walk in, they'll say, well, we're investigating a doctor in the area and they want certain scripts. Okay, they have to have a subpoena to take those scripts out, which is fine. They always do. But the problem is why they have your documents, they're inspecting you when you're not even there. And I've seen this happen a number of times where they're investigating the doctor and they pick up all the pharmacies at the same time. Yep. So how can a pharmacy get in touch with you if they're worried about their controlled substance compliance? They're worried that, you know, the employees can't answer those questions correctly. How can they get in touch with you to um, get, get their pharmacies up to speed? Um, the easiest way is one, go to our website, rjhedges.com, and we have all our products and services there with videos and demos uh, right there for you. So you can actually see what you have and some of the products you can actually order online. Uh, if you need to talk to someone, do uh, fill out the questionnaire uh, and it'll be routed to our sales team. Uh, uh, email us at sales at rjhedges.com or if you need to, Call 724-357-8380. And my staff will answer the phone and get you to the right person right away. Awesome. We will post all of that contact information there. Um, if you're listening to this episode, this is one in kind of a series of compliance that we're doing with Jeff Hedges because there are a ton of changes that are coming to pharmacies. Um, not necessarily new laws. Sometimes it is new laws and sometimes it's just enforcement of old laws. So um, if you haven't already, get caught up on all your hazardous drug requirements. Listen to that episode. And we are going to have more compliance sessions coming up because we want to make sure that you are covered and you feel safe and you can sleep well at night because pharmacy is tough enough. You don't need to have a bad inspection or get a terrible fine, which is happening. It definitely, the pandemic's officially over come May 11th. Uh, the audits have been increasing already and uh, it's only going to get worse. And so we want to make sure that you are covered. So thank you so much, Jeff, for joining me for this. I can't wait to um, do our next sessions. I'm learning a ton. I know it's a big boost for our, our listeners and I appreciate your time. Okay. Thank you very much and have a great day, everybody. Thank you so much for listening. And if you found this content valuable, here are four ways I can help you have a more profitable pharmacy for free. One, join my free group at lisasrxgroup.com. Two, get the latest strategies at diversifyrx.com forward slash blog. Three, watch helpful videos at lisasyt.com. 
for. Hit that subscribe button and please be sure to leave us a five-star review so we can help more pharmacy owners and bring those insights back to you. Becoming a Pharmacy Badass is proud to be a part of the Pharmacy Podcast Network.